This is Parking in Bitterman's Circle number 52 for August 10th, 2020. and where are you from? My name's Kevin O'Connor and I'm from Ventura, California, originally from uh, New York. So what do you do now? You mean now in the pandemic or? <laughs> Let's go pre-pandemic. I mean, we'll get to the pandemic later. I've been a, a backline tech, a, a drum tech and percussion tech, stage manager, teleprompter operator, monitor mixer, all the same things we've all done. Many Just a guy on the road for 35 years. Yeah. And I'm thinking that actually you and I go by, go back further than many of the people that I've I've talked to. Absolutely. Because uh, I know I I knew I met you when I still wasn't here. Uh, which is over 30 years ago. So You were stage here. manager at Playboy Jazz Festival when I met you. Was I? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I was. That's uh, the first time you and I ever met, and I worked for uh, Hiroshima. There you go. It was Hiroshima. I thought for some reason it was the jackets. Jackets after that. Hiroshima yeah. was my first. Uh, they were my mentors. They gave me my start. I worked for them for 10 years. I had a guy that I've uh, been working with in the past two years. Uh, admit to me that the Yellow Jackets Lee Rittenauer tour we did on the West Coast that one time. He, uh-huh. was, he was one of the guys from the uh, uh, A1 audio. Right, right. And uh, I was shocked. I, I totally blanked on him all the way. I said, well, we worked together, but uh, I don't remember you at all. <laughs> I did remember one of the other crew guys, one of his crew guys, but uh, I didn't remember him. So that's... Uh, well, hopefully how many thousands of people have we met? <laughs> yeah, exactly. over our life. You know? Were you fortunate enough to uh, study the arts when you were in school? Did you get to study music or or, or any of the uh, other fine arts? Beyond taking private drum lessons, uh, no, no, I, I didn't. Not at all, really. I was an English major. That's not a bad thing in this line of work. I mean, I guess that was studying the arts, you know, studying literature and all that. But uh, no, my, my artistic uh, leanings are definitely on the percussive end. <laughs> this is interesting. This reminds me of our, the, our coffee dates in Mexico City. Yeah. You know, we used to have those little afternoon soirees at the coffee shop and just talk stuff and talk yeah. books and that darn that that one is actually uh, is actually gone. The one that was on the uh, uh, Presidente Mujer of the uh-huh. that I used to love that place. I just 
I just hang out there until they closed. You know, right around the corner from the flower market. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what was the first concert you ever attended? Well, I remember it very well. It was uh, Vanilla Fudge at Sacred Heart Catholic Schoolgirl in, uh, I think it was Amewood, New Jersey. Wow. And years later, I, I had a chance when I was working at the record plant, years later, I, I met Tim Boger. He came in and uh, we had a chat and I said, you were the very first live show that I ever saw. And I remember it vividly because you were wearing like a full length psychedelic paisley kaftan. And he said, you know, the funny thing about that, I was at my mother's house that afternoon and I realized I didn't have anything to wear on stage. And that was her dressing gown. <laughs> he actually remembered that. I thought that was hysterical. I can only imagine, the, and, and you know, we could do a, probably do a show on just all of the house coats that have shown up <laughs> on the road. Um, <laughs> Jamie, for for one, right? There you go. You got <laughs> but, uh, Remember, Michael called him Betty Buckley. <laughs> oh no, that's funny. But so, well, that I mean, we always get these. You know, we get these. Uh, Things we get exposed to the business. You get to see think, people moving around and doing things. Obviously, working with the crews. So I was like, "What was your I got to do that moment?" I mean, when was it that you said, "Sign me up"? Well, I mean, are you talking as a musician or are you talking as a crew guy? Uh, you know what? I'll just say crew at this point because I know I know the other one. Uh, pretty well. <laughs> well, actually, my my uh, initial touring experience was with a band that uh, probably you've never heard of, a band called Little America. And they were a precursor kind of pretty boy power pop band. And this must have been... I want to say maybe 81, 82, and I was working at SIR on uh, Sunset there, Sunset and, and uh, Gordon down by McCage. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that Gordon? Yeah. yeah. The old stage six, Doug's Place. Doug's Place, yeah. And uh, no, down the street from Doug's Place, the other one. Okay, I know, I, I know yeah, the other the first one. one. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I was running the. the place at night you know five five rooms five bands a night or maybe sometimes seven bands a night depending on how the books are. <laughs> and i just got burned out on it and uh nick koga said i i need somebody to sub for whoever their drum tech was no it must have been bobby gilkin because uh it was Chris Ruggolo and Nick Kogan and I went out, and it normally would have been uh, Bobby Gilton, right? Because they were kind of a team crew team. Mm-hmm. So we went out for three weeks in a basically driving a pickup truck full of <laughs> band gear, driving ourselves, staying in crummy motels, and I was hooked, man. Three weeks on the road, and I came back and said, "I'm not going back to SIR. This is what I'm going to do." And fortunately, I had met Hiroshima. 
from they used to come in and rehearse in that uh, facility, right? So I was friends with them already. And when I came back from that, uh, Phil Mosley said, hey, you want to come aboard? And I did, and I joined up with them, and they really took me aboard and taught me how to do what I do, really taught me how. You know, they taught me the whole the Bushido behind it all, you know? Well, I mean, to get that kind of a uh, lesson, you know, if you get mentors early on and, and who actually understand that it is a – a lifestyle. I hate to make it sound like that, but it is. I mean, in the same way, if you if you study the Bushido, in fact, you know, I mean, you understand that it is more than a lifestyle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, what was the first hard lesson that you ended up learning out there? Oh, there's a question. Well... I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with what you end up leaving behind. You know, a real hard lesson was losing my first marriage, you know, and having to, to make that choice of, you know, what path is your future going to take? Right. Who's going to be in it, you know? And that definitely influenced, influenced everything. Having been on the road for some years before my marriage, you know, and realizing I'm going to have to make that choice and saying, um, uh, I made this choice before I met, you know, this is the path I've been on. Mm. And uh, if we split ways, then, excuse me. I, I mean, we always hooked up because we thought we were on the same path. You know, she was a musician and a singer, and I thought our paths are conjoined and we will take this down the road together. Mm-hmm. That was a hard lesson to find out that doesn't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's what you were looking for in terms of. No, no, I mean, it's, it's a totally valid answer. You know, I mean. Because um, that, I mean, that goes back to my early days of, of touring, you know. I got married when I was just kind of nascent couple of years out, you know, and thought I could still have it all. And that, up until then, I didn't really, I don't think, have a lot of hard lessons out on the the road. You know, I was very happy and content with the way things were going and things got better and got from behind the wheel of the rider and onto the bus and into a bunk, you know, and life started to get pretty good as you start to get your chops up and you become a professional and Mm -hmm. gigs get better and the money gets better and you don't want to sacrifice that life, you know? I didn't, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, who would you pick if you were going to say that it was, it was a person that was a mentor to you on the road as far as crew life, production life is concerned? First, uh, probably Dave Freeman, who was uh, Hiroshima's production manager at the time and LD, you know? who really kind of hit me to what it was all about from the beginning. Chopper, certainly, you know, over the years. You, Michael, Chainsaw, <laughs> you know. You learn by your contemporaries. You learn by watching who gets it done and how they get it done. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people that hang for the long term and why they hang for the long term because of their ethics 
and their approach to doing the job right, you know? I, I, I mean, I, I could pick so many, but it's really, I, I think it comes down to people like you and I, you know? Those are our, the people I've learned from, my mentors. I, I couldn't say that somebody really took me under their wing, but I learned from watching the best do what they do, you know? I, I mean, <laughs> you? Wow. <laughs> Michael, come on, chainsaw. How do you top that? You guys are the platinum of our business. Seriously. Oh, just little bitter people that wander around dressed in black. Exactly. But making it all happen year in and year out. And that's how we roll. That's for sure. Um, who influenced you then and now? I mean, who, I mean, and I'm talking music, I'm talking anything actually they could be musicians they could be uh hopefully not political figures but, uh, <laughs> come on man you know me too well pro wrestler pro wrestlers you know <laughs> well obviously you know my number one man is bruce yeah. always been bruce always will be bruce yeah but uh moving on from that these days Mark Knopfler is uh, my hero. James McMurtry is a hero of mine these days. Mm -hmm. You know, who influences me? That's a strange, well, it's not a strange question. It's a difficult question to answer these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we actually consume that information in a different way nowadays. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was not unusual for me to be sitting there with uh, listening to an album and reading a novel made of paper. Exactly. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm sitting there going, I, I actually look at the books that I've, I've kept over the years and I go, how in the hell did I get through the Baroque trilogy by Stevenson? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you read, uh, Fall yet? Dodge and Hell? No, not yet. Oh, you're gonna love it. It's. I'm just. I've been off of reading for some reason. I think I I blame the cell phone, and I, I'm not sure if it has a setting on there that allows me to read novels or even nonfiction. But uh, I think it has changed how I consume information. And, oh, I'm uh, sure. And right now, because. Uh, William Gibson has a new book out in the past couple months. Uh, I'm, I am reading his, his book and it's, it's so wonderful to see somebody who knows how to use words. I read it as well. Mm -hmm. And see, this, this has saved my life because my library has been closed and I have downloaded, I probably read 50 books on this thing, but I can't wait to go into the library and pick up a paper book again. I miss it so much. And you, I know, are like that as well. You had always had a book handy. I've always had a book handy. I couldn't imagine being in my bunk at night without a book. Well, I need something to make sure I can hit the keyboard tech with if they get out of line. <laughs> uh, now, this is a – we'll go to a crew question here. What are your thoughts about musical techs as opposed to technical techs? Um, Obviously, there's a lot of people go from being musicians to working on a crew. 
but it's really, it really, like I said, I've said in, in other interviews, it really surprises me to find out how many people have, are working at a very high level who don't play music that are not really musicians. Somehow they, uh, they make it work for the people they work for without having, you know, more than four or five chords in their head. I have never been able to, to get behind that myself. It's why I don't do guitars. I don't play the guitar. I don't have any feel for the guitar. You know, the fact that you started out as a drummer and managed to evolve your skills to the point where you could do the job that you did on the level that you did is astounding to me. You really taught yourself things that I couldn't do. I stuck with, a very, with my path because that's what I understand. I understand the drums. Mm-hmm. And I, I fully just don't understand how you can manage the job on the level that we do it if you don't play the instrument. But how many people do we know? You know, look at Roger Veach. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll play a note. He plays, he has his five chords, but he understands the instrument inside out. You know, right. and know how to make it sing and uh, isn't even bothered by the fact that he doesn't play. And all the years that he's had his hands on guitars, you would have thought he would have learned how to play just out of self-defense. But he's still wonderful at his job. There's a weird, there's a weird kind of uh, um, abstinence that sort of runs through me with it. I don't know. I mean, I'd sit here. I'm actually looking at some guitars right now, and they just are they're very nice to look at. <laughs> You don't feel a need to pick it up anymore. I picked I picked them up, but then I realized I still don't know anything about them, so I put it back. <laughs> but you could take it apart and put it back together again and make it sing for somebody else. Yeah, that's really the thing. You know, I mean, you ask about mentors. I would say mentors for me have been the drummers I've worked for. You know, really overall more than anybody, especially the good ones. <laughs> Oh yeah. You know, some of the people who have caused me pain and anguish over my career. Most I've been mostly lucky enough to work with spectacular talents who are wonderful people, you know, and they really teach you about what it is to play music and bring music to the world. So you know, those are mentors to me. Will wow. Kennedy? Wow. Yeah. You know. I well, you, well, you were there when Will first showed up, and, and so was I. I mean, it was uh, funny because I was working for Alex right around the time right. I recorded that record. And, uh, and Will took, went out on the road with that album. And, uh, right. You know, th- that was his starting point with that, with that band, that's for sure. I have to tell you, I mean, out of all the bands I ever worked for, the Jackets taught me more than anything, and they took me places that, you would never go on a big rock tour, you know, and we did things and played places where an experience that you just couldn't get in any other way. And I, well, I wouldn't have traded that for being on the Rolling Stones, you know, to, to playing in some wrecked little plaza in Sardinia where a bunch of people that come out and spend the entire day watching you set up because it's the greatest entertainment that's ever hit the town, you know? I love those. Those were the experiences that made it for me. The jackets were really an eye opener, you know. Yeah, I've I've had a couple of those uh, set up next to the pool in uh, Croatia kind of moments. Right. But, exactly. Uh, but they, you know, they're they're uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I am, I'm having that kind of experience late in life. I've actually been very fortunate that I've worked with a, a number of different sized organizations. And, and you know, it, it's all well and good. You know, people want to talk about uh, Giant Stadium or, or Madison Square Garden. And I think about, well, I actually set up next to uh, uh, a, a lot of bushes next to the, where these alligators came through for – you know, I'm still shuffling around 18 guitars in the middle of a swamp somewhere. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, yeah, well, currently, I mean, having gone from um, being with multiple trucks to being on a one bus with a band and a 16 foot trailer, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's surprisingly freeing. You know? I agree. You know, I don't mind. I mean, you know, we obviously there are trade offs for any, any job that we end up getting, but uh, it really, it really, it, it changes the focus. But like, like one of the uh, questions I was going to ask next is like, what do you take from those kind of gigs and bring to another level? And, and do you end up bringing it back? You know, I mean, there's, there's kind of a... We're in that little feet stage of our lives where, you know, the same people you meet on the way up, you meet on the way down. And we're, you know, we're sliding down the scale, at least I am, down from multiple trucks and multiple buses and all that nonsense with the same people, mm -hmm. you know, for 20 years down to one bus and a trailer. Same, you know. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, Crosby had the Crosby and his band, that's a two bus, one trail, you know, band and cross on one bus crew and uh, gear with the trailer on, on the other bus. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, I had my doubts about it after starting at the level that we started at and ended up. But it's, again, you're right, surprisingly freeing to realize you can do it with basically nothing and put it in a trailer and still do a quality show, you know. And not have to worry about so much hoopla, sound, and lights. And you know, you take what's in the room and you make it work. You know, bring your consoles, bring it back line, and see ya. And yeah. it's like loadouts, forty minutes. Yeah, that's uh, very attractive. <laughs> did I uh, did I tell you that I ended up playing with the the band on the last tour? Oh, yeah, actually, I, I saw that. I actually saw it online. If you look behind me, I don't know if you can see it, but up there is a, a shot. And then the Washington Post article, I had I had my my own fan <laughs> who took these pictures of me the first night, right? And then the second night was at uh, the, the Ram's Head, and he was there as well, and he came up and said to me, I took some pictures of you. Can I send them to you? And I said, yeah, sure. And I gave him my, my email. And so when I got home from the tour, he had sent me all this stuff. He'd sent me five physical copies of the Washington Post with the review in it. He took the review and he blew it up and framed it. You can see it there. He took the picture, this picture that was in the paper, he took that out and put it in one of his own pictures. <laughs> And then he framed that big picture and he framed the review and sent it all to me. Completely just a guy, just a guy who was in the audience who did that. 
it was really an amazing experience. I had a uh, a fan of uh, the group I'm working with now who who uh, gave gave me a, like a twenty five dollar Starbucks gift card and a forty dollar one for the cats at Petco or something like that. And it's just so sweet. It was just it was like I mean. It's really strange to be down there on your knees taping things to the floor right before the show's about to start, and someone from the audience goes, how are your cats doing? (laughs) But it happens, you know. Um, So what do you bring to your clients? Do you bring the – do you bring transparency or influence and – I mean, the term that I've used with other people talking about it is like, are you more of a Sherpa caddy type tech or you basically stand back and, and, and let them uh, do what they do? I mean, do you find yourself just going, hey, listen, uh, the, r- the room sounds this way tonight, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, you might want to do this, this and that. And, that kind of a, uh, I mean, I've been in that kind of situation where you sit there and there's, there's a nasty slap back coming off off the wall. Maybe you want to turn your wedge down, that kind of stuff. You know, I, you have to tailor it to whoever you're working for too, you know, but that's always been my approach is, you know, like we're brothers here. I've sussed out, I've been here all day. I've sussed out what's good and what sucks. Here's what you have to pay attention to. Here's how you might want to approach the show tonight. If you play too loud, you're going to be unhappy or, you know, you, you know what we do. Mm-hmm. That's always been my approach. And uh, fortunately, aside from, I would say maybe only two clients that I could think of over all these years that didn't appreciate that approach. And mostly everybody, you know, drummers, especially man, drummers are, we're a fraternal bunch, you know, and, we, we like to talk gear and we like to talk acoustics and, you know, it's all grist for the mill. I, I was always, always enjoyed my, my little kind of uh, pre-show sessions with, with my guys when they would come in at soundcheck and say, so what's it like today? You know, well, here you go. Here's the rundown. Here's right. what we need to do. You know, pre-game show. Exactly. I mean, you got to point out that it is a par five. And then you want to use a, a, a heavier uh, club to get to where they're going. One of my favorite lines was always Jimmy Haslam saying, put on your helmets, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that night? Uh, that was the, the, the Yellow Jackets Lee Rittenauer tour where someone stole Jimmy's bass off the stage at, at the end of the show. And oh was walking down the street with it. Uh, I think this was San Jose or somewhere. Uh, I'm not oh quite God. sure. And uh, this guy had been to the show, recognized the base, and went after the guy, attacked him and took it away from him and brought it back to the venue and presented, oh it, presented it to me. And then I brought it to Jimmy. So oh. I mean, not entirely sure he wasn't the one who actually took it, but it was a great story. And that's why, I, I mean, all the years I've known Jimmy, I have never seen him without a guitar bag over his shoulder. You know, as soon as the show is over, the guitar goes in the bag that's behind the amp and walks off the stage. 
He doesn't put it down anymore. I don't think he does. I, no, uh, I, I, I don't hear that. <laughs> so, um, you've probably been in this uh, situation before. And uh, the idea was about uh, a crew. Does a crew end up being a team or is it a collection of coordinated loners? You know, uh, I mean, very often you see the good people... ones. End up being... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the good ones end up being a team. I don't, I don't think ever a, a, a team of coordinated loners does as good a job. And I've been on both crews and I know you have, mm-hmm. you know, not that the job doesn't get done. But it's how it gets done, and it's it's where the fun is, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're with your brothers and really having a team experience, you laugh all day long, even under if you're under the worst circumstances, you laugh all day long. And when it's not, you know, then it's just a job, and it's a damn hard job, mm-hmm. and a damn thankless job a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I, I think... If you don't have that spiritual aspect of the people that you work for or work with, I should say, then you're missing a really key component of what makes this job fun. I wouldn't bother to do it otherwise, you know, especially as I've gotten older. I've been on some some gigs where I like the artist and individually I like the people I work with, but it as you say, it's not a coordinated team effort. It doesn't gel that way. And it's not as much fun. It's just more hard work. And I tend to say no to those things now. I tend to, to want to just work with the people that I know I can have that experience with. You know, the, the Crosby people, you know, Rance and, and Gons and Madigan and I, we've been together so long and our groove is so good as people, you know, and Murphy as people just getting along on a bus, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, first time I ever toured with those guys as just a Crosby Nash tour, you know, we were in Europe for six weeks on the same bus, the crew, we never turned on the television once. Mm-hmm. We sat in the front lounge and we laughed our asses off all the time and had great conversation and camaraderie it's not, not a bunch of zombies staring at a screen after a 12 hour day. It was one of the most relaxed and fun tours I ever did. And it was all because the people had the right mindset and right attitude and were fun to be with, you know, made the job fun. And it's been that way ever since with those guys. I, I love those guys to death. So have you been in a situation where like everything is starting to go bad do you take it or do you walk? You know, do you make, do you confront what's going on or do you just sort of uh, give your notice and walk away? I have never quit a gig in my life. That being said, I have quit a certain gig every day. <laughs> and if you know, I, I don't want to name names here, but you know who my nemesis was at one time. Yeah. I had to be chainsaw actually talked me out of hitting him and getting fired more times than I can count on that tour. (laughs) And I would have to go to the back lounge of the bus and call my wife and say, I'm going to put my elbow through his face and I'll be home tomorrow. And she'd say, you got a mortgage. You are not doing that. Suck it up. 
So that was a very valuable lesson to me. That's that's a real lesson that I learned about how to deal with a serious asshole as your principal, you know, and deal with him every day in every mood and still make it work. And if you're going to stay, you're going to have to just bite your tongue and suck it up, you know, yeah. or you quit. And that if I didn't quit that gig, I'll never quit a gig, you know, because that was the worst gig I ever had in terms of dealing with my principal. Right. I've been lucky at the time. Drummers are usually the easiest going guys. You know, I, you've worked for both. I don't know if your attitude is the same about them. I'm glad I never had to deal with prima guitar players. It's, you know, I think it's really does become the individual. It, it It's more, more about their personality. And I mean, obviously you can, you can say some sort of general stereotypical things about certain uh, guitar players or bass players and drummers. They're, they're like this, they're like that. But uh, you know, I've, I've known, I've known uh, a, a, you know, good ones and bad ones on in pretty much every department. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of which lighting people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whinging and windups, you know, complaining as an art form, you know, whinging is, is, is something that, uh, it almost becomes like a disease within, uh, within an organization where, you know, where the, the it seems like the, the the complaining is never going to stop. It never it, it you you're convinced that some people are actually complaining in their bunk by themselves when you're not when you're not talking to them. But uh, you hear them through the curtain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all know those people too because yeah. we've all been on that crew. Yeah. What question though? The, yeah, the question is basically, I mean, we, we've experienced that. And I've also been talking to people about wind-ups. You know, is it a matter of hazing to sort of thin the herd out and, uh, you know, make, make certain people just not come back? <laughs> I've been lucky, I guess, lately that, that I've been with the same people that I really like working with for a very long time. So I haven't really been exposed to that. Uh, too much in, in say probably even the last 15 years, I would say. I've been really fortunate in that way. But I'm certainly in favor of wind-ups. I love wind-ups, but not maliciously, you know. I, I, I mean, if you have to wind somebody up that badly to get them to quit, <laughs> they're in the wrong business, you know. you got to try to help them see that you're, you shouldn't be here. Michael used to uh, pick up the things that the opening bands forget, and he would actually post it on the back of the amp line, where he'd write, written down what he would sell them, sell it back to them for, you know, one guitar stand fifteen dollars, you know, amp amplifier. You can't afford it. I do remember we had a uh, a newbie, a merch kid that was making no effort to to really learn how to get along, you know, and he's starting to get on everybody's nerves and we got him good and fucking drunk one night and put him in bed with an iced chocolate cake on his chest. 
and he was passed out and rolled over and rolled over all night and got up and was just completely and utterly befouled. And the bunk was befouled and the bus driver was furious. And he was just like, fuck you guys, man. I'm out of here. I'm done. And that's the only time I ever had to, to witness that. But I thought that was pretty brilliant. Uh I think the only the only one that I thought that I was going home for was uh, I guess the, the famous lizard story with uh, Vincent Ngini. A lizard on a stick. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that well. Yeah, <laughs> I I caught him later in life actually telling that story himself rather Vincent. than Vincent. Yeah, I mean considering how uh, unprofessional he appeared uh, when that happened, he still uh, he he had a good laugh about it later on. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I had something and now it's gone. That's okay. That's what we got. That's what happens with rolled roadies. They, they need, (laughs) they need notes. And then of course they don't follow them. They just start making stuff up. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned, I mean, something I've always said is that be careful about working for your heroes because you will find out that they are quite human and, uh, and uh, maybe not necessarily deserve the, uh, the accolades that you carry with you. But, uh, but they may just, uh, it may just be one of those situations where you sit there and you go, I, I, I've ruined this, you know? <laughs> yes. 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 I, I actually, I, I get that quite well. And, yeah. uh, I, I know who you're probably talking to. <laughs> talking yeah. to <laughs> well, it's 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 just one of those things. That's it's. It, I've done. I mean, like you, I've been quite fortunate. I've gotten to work with some wonderful people, and um, and often I find that it's more situations and a kind of a a, cre- uh, a creation of of uh, energy coming from the very top and working its way down to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, and it's funny because like one, one particular organization, I, um, I couldn't figure out where the problem was. I couldn't for the life of me. And, you know, and everybody would always say, well, you know, it all comes from the top and, and I would sit there and going, no, 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 no way. That can't possibly be the case. And then in the case of this one person, they wrote a autobiography and it was like, Oh, okay. It all makes sense now. Never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, you know, we we are fortunate enough now to sort of work with. Uh, we we've been able to spend some time with some remarkable people. I mean, and some and and here's some remarkable music. I mean, I think I think of uh, there's a few people I've always thought of which uh, I wanted to have part of their. Uh, uh, resume, um, you know, and I, I think, I think of the yellow jackets around the time of spin was, you know, that was, I real, really jealous to the people that got to hear that every night because I mean, that just came from a place that, uh, you know, the, uh, an old ECM record collector like myself, uh, very comfortable listening to something like that every night. 
And, you know, quite honestly, and over the years that I've, I've, uh, I've crossed paths with those guys, it's always been, you know, totally pleasant, totally, you know, I mean, just, just the utmost respect and, uh, and the, and the musicianship is just, man, always committed to the music and yeah. committed to pushing the boundaries every night, not being complacent, you know, right. I mean, I worked for them solidly for 10 years mm -hmm. through different musicians and, and different crews, different regimes, you know, never once was I not totally present when the show started, you know, and all the way through because the music was just stunning all the time, no matter what, no matter what. Yeah. And we had, you did it, I did it. You know, some of the places we played and some places were just not conducive to doing a real show for world-class musicians and still binging, right. no bullshit, get on the stage, play your heart out. That's you know, right. Always, every every night, and I never had anything but the utmost respect for all of them and their commitment to making the performance happen, no matter what it took, you know. And if that meant loading the van themselves, <laughs> you know, that's what they'll do. Yeah. They're guys, you know, really world class. That's for sure. Uh, Tell me one thing that most people, including the ones you work with, wouldn't think of you. I mean, I mean, if you're a cross-dressing fire eater, that's fine. But there's nothing wrong with it, you know. What you would probably be able to answer that better than I would. I, I'm not even sure I'm that self-aware anymore. <laughs> oh well, that 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 may be. It's funny. I, um, in, in working with you and working with some of the people that we have in common, um, I, th I think of you and RT along the same lines sometimes. God bless him. And God bless him. He was one of the more, uh, well-read people that I'd ever met in my life. Absolutely. And, uh, and you would never know it if you just were on a local crew and having him tell you what to do. Uh, you probably figured he was from a prison. <laughs> Ex-prison guard, really. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I mean, for someone who's actually done entire tours uh, underneath the stage reading a book, uh, you know, I know you've had the experiences where uh, you, you've been able to uh, feed your soul uh, no matter what the hell's going on out there in front of the stage. Absolutely. And we spent many a, a night on our knees underneath the catwalk, I must mm -hmm. say. Thank God for a book. Yeah, thank God. You know, people would think of me as a reader, that I'm, I'm intelligent and erudite and, and uh, have a vocabulary, you know. I'm not just another old Cro-Magnon roadie, you know, I don't think. <laughs> no, but you know what? Those, they're, they're not extinct yet. That's what I'm basically, you know, that's the principle that I'm going by is the fact that there are people that come out and they do have to have this sensitivity. They do have to have this ability to handle the environment for, um, for the musicians to create a safe environment 
and a and a and a positive environment so that they could they can be creative and just play the music that they want to. They don't have to worry about what's coming down the you know coming down the pipe. You know, because you they know that they've got you on you know watching their back. And so here's an ancillary to that. Yes. If you look at all the times or any of the times where you have had to sub yourself out mm. and you start going through your book and thinking, well, who's capable of dealing with X? You know, who's the best choice to take over for me with X? You know, right. and that is a oftentimes a very difficult choice that you make and it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with technical skills it's more what's here and what's up here and you know can you slip into the the role and would it be unkind to ask you to slip into the role if you're the wrong guy you know yeah it, it's but it's but it's true i mean there there are people who i mean there are production people crew chiefs and stuff that will take a look at the situation and um I think one one line was I, I suggested one person that we both worked with before, and he was like, "I'm not going to spend half my day taking care of his culinary needs. Uh, <laughs> I know he can do his job, but I'm not going to make sure that this food is, you know." I went, "Okay," <laughs> but uh, you know that's uh, it, that sometimes it becomes one of those things. I mean, it, how do you? I mean, here we are. We try to get along. We try, you know. I have a tour manager that I've been working with lately that uh, he seems to take lunch orders two and three months in advance. (laughs) He's doing these, doing in advance with, with some promoter rep, you know, and they're ordering off a menu. So you're in the middle of loading in, you've got your hands full. You're trying to tell people where to put things. And he's like, you know, um, this is for Cincinnati in in, uh, September uh, I need to get your mail, your lunch order right now, right now. Before, I'm going to go, what are you? Yeah. Me? I'll email you. Yeah, exactly. I'll get closer. When I get the same month, I'll give you my order. I don't eat lunch that day. Sorry. I'm exactly. done. I'm good. Exactly. Whenever I've tried to, you know, I, I bounce back and forth uh, the last couple of years between Jackson and, and Crosby, you know, and I've had to sub myself out a couple of times. And it's like, I look at, you know, Fritz is, is one of my favorite people in life. And certainly one of my favorite guys to work for. And it's really important to me if I can't be there to take care of him, that he has that same kind of level of service. It's, and it's hard as we get older now to find kids coming up that have the same kind of uh, commitment to uh, to that kind of level. You know, oh, yeah. I haven't had, found anybody new to sub for me uh, that I could trust for a long time, you know, and that ends up sort of devolving out to people that don't quite measure up sometimes. And uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad when I can, find somebody new and give them a, a really great guy, you know, and say this, you take care of him. He'll take care of you. And he's a great guy and, you know, pay attention, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I actually I mean, some people go live by the, uh, by the, uh, 
um, attitude of never put somebody in who's better than you in your position. You know, make sure that they're they're thorough enough, but not enough to take your gig away from you. And I think you get to a point in your career where you say, "Yeah, I'll put any, I'll put somebody in who's better than I am." That would actually make me look good. You know, I mean, I maybe right. he, maybe he can fix some of this shit that I can't fix. And uh, when I'm when I'm gone, you know, and, I'm more concerned that my artist is covered. You know, if it's somebody I like. I'm, I'm more concerned. I, I'm certainly not worried so much about my own ego as to not give him, find the best I could find for him, you know? Although I've had my, I've had my gig stolen. Yeah. You know, yeah. that way, by somebody who came in to sub for me. Yeah. It happens. And then getting it back when, you know, the commitment wasn't there anymore, you know? And, and karma's, they, karma's a bitch, too. Yeah, exactly. But it was very, uh, it was gratifying to have the tour manager call up and kind of grovel a little bit, you know? Say, well, you let that happen, didn't you? Well, yeah. It's going to cost you a little bit more money. Sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of, I mean, I know that... Uh, sometimes you don't want to give the job to someone who actually you care about and you actually, you actually like, you know, you give them a handful and they're just going to, I mean, because I mean, I know a lot of people who, who ended up subbing for me on a, in a couple of situations and I gave them all the information that I had. I mean, everything that I could possibly think up to give them and they, and they, and believe me, they thank me for it. But um, you know, when you're dealing with a difficult client, a particular client, uh, a client that doesn't make mistakes, only you make mistakes. <laughs> I know that client. Yeah. I've, I've met this person before. Uh, uh, yes. But. Uh, so, you know, what can you do at that point? You, you, you've thrown somebody into the deep end of the pool. You've given them. A life raft that you can give them, and they sink or swim. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing though. It's amazing though, also to be in a situation where you're working with a group. You bring a friend in, and um, you can have a friend that you've you've seen uh, go through every anything, and they just seem to be totally cool. And then they come in, and they're there for the gig that you've been doing, and they start you start seeing some little cracks around the edges and you're going i'm just like yeah well i mean you know without without uh giving too much away but i mean uh like i'm bruce i mean because it's just one of those gigs that you have no idea what's going to happen next you have to be ready on so many different levels uh and you have to be fast you can't you have to ha you know get get some of this stuff into your muscle memory uh, rather than uh, you know trying to figure it out while it's going on, because uh, at the end of the one, two, three, four, that guitar better be in that person's hand because they're about to start, and uh, and there's no, they're not doing any uh, second second takes right. right now. We uh, I actually was talked about that with 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 Chainsaw a few weeks ago, and um, it's. Uh, it's one of those things. I mean, if you, you survive one of those gigs and I mean, you could, 
but that's a, the, the other thing. You can actually get to a gig, which is really intimidating when you first get there and you work really hard and you, you do the best that you can. And the next thing you know, you're kind of looking at it and going, eh, well, yeah, uh, I wonder how the Dodgers are doing tonight. You, know? <laughs> you can assimilate so much stuff, man, can't you? Uh, but don't you find after all of the huge mega, megalicious stuff you've done, aren't you kind of happy to be back on just the bus with the girls and a trailer and without all the fanfare and foo for all sometimes it's just easier, isn't it? To be a little bit scaled down now at our age. At least I feel that way. I, I, I couldn't even really get excited about getting on the, the huge arena thing again anymore. Well, I, I think that just the, uh, I, I think after all the years of having to get up early to go in and do these big shows, um, I seem to finally wake up at that point. So it's actually nice to have like three or four hours to do stuff before you have to go to work. I know, Crosby's in at noon. Yeah. Well, yeah. One o'clock with the girls. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's I know. I just, and of course, but I'm the only backline person on that thing. So it's like, um, are you going to be ready for sound check? And I go, we'll see. <laughs> are you, is it just a duo or do they have a band? They operate as a as a trio sometimes. There's actually we were supposed to have a band this this year. Uh, they did a band record, and uh, they were going to do a band tour with bass, drums, and keyboards added to the mix. Uh, but I mean, usually we're a trio with which is what two guitars and a bass, or two guitars and two guitars and a violin player. Ah, so and. Uh, so, I mean, and, you know, but I mean, you've got a little bit of everything. I've got uh, old guitars, new guitars, electric guitars, acoustic guitars. Ones, ones with not enough strings and a couple with too many. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Are you I mean, a violin now as well? No. 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 I, I, I suppose that uh, on some level I could be involved, but... Uh, the the player is exceptional and uh and she fends for herself and does an amazing job you touching her instrument probably that's okay well it's funny i mean and she'll leave them just there on stage while we go to dinner and it's like i i, I would be looking to lock them in a vault somewhere exactly. so it's yeah that's one of the strange things where we start dealing with these um irreplaceable items, you know, I, I was, uh, it's been sort of interesting watching the one band that I used to work for a guy, um, bought a guitar that used to belong to another famous musician. And, uh, he paid a lot of money for it. I mean, you, th you think it's a lot of money. It's a lot, a lot of money. And, uh, and then they just sort of like, hey, man, why don't you just bring it out to me on stage, you know? And I'm sitting there, and I'm walking through a crowd without a case with this over half a million dollar instrument in my hands, right. hoping, that these, hoping that these idiots don't throw a beer at me, which they did, you know, but they didn't, didn't get the guitar. But, uh, what but I mean, it's that kind guitar of... Worth 
what guitar was it that was worth that kind of money? It's a 59 uh, Les Paul, you know. It, oh. So. Wow. And uh, so, I mean, anyways, it's just, just one of those times when you sit there and you go, I can't believe that I have this thing in my hands. I want to let go of it right now and give it to somebody else. <laughs> Not my responsibility, please. Well, that's the, uh, I mean, but I mean, every now and then you get to see like, you know, these Bruce's iconic guitar is one thing, a uh, one guitar I can think of. And, um, uh, Jocko's bass, which I got to see. It's all about the provenance. Yeah. You know, it's not really the instrument, it's the provenance. Well, Although 59 is a beautiful guitar. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just, there's there's so much mojo coming out of some of these things, you know? I mean, Graham just sold uh, Dwayne's SG, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he got something like $600,000 for it. Just yeah. that guitar. Yeah. It's that's you know? crazy. But yeah, I mean well, you know, it's like talking about sports guys that make millions of dollars every year and everybody thinks that that's sort of cool. And I go, Yeah, but how rich do you have to be to afford to pay these guys? So that we're talking yeah. about money you can't even imagine. So true. I mean, it's like yeah, I make a hundred million dollars a year. You know, yeah, you have a big contract. That's great. You know, where do you think this money's coming from? You know, a richer exactly. person. Exactly. The really rich people. Yeah. What what would you say your proudest moment professionally or personally is? Wow. Well, I have to say that professionally getting to play with Crosby two nights running was a really high point in my, my professional life. And also the very first time I ever walked on stage at Madison square garden and thinking about my father, who was the, the fight doctor there, you know, the ring doctor mm-hmm. back when he was a med student and, being taken to Madison Square Garden for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus for our birthdays every year. And to walk on stage and do that show there, you know, with people packed to the rafters, I, I had a very proud moment that night, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I remember the, I, the one thing that really made me is – uncomfortable when I get to be at Madison square garden and there's no wing space, of course. And, uh, being put there with 20 guitars or something and having every, every self-important person on the face of the planet seems to be walking through your work zone for three hours. And you just have to kind of keep your cool and, Mm -hmm. uh, and be a little grown up for a change while these people are just totally in your way. Mm-hmm. But I, but I have to agree. I mean, some of these, some of these venues, some of these places have been to, um, you know, like the runs that we did with, uh, Leonard Cohen in 93 or with, with Paul Simon, we played some of these amazing places, you know, like the, the arena de Verona, and, uh, the, uh, the Coliseum in Nîmes, you know, I mean, you, you get, yeah. get a lot of different 
places like that, man, that they're just, just sort of, they're irreplaceable. You know, you just can't, you can't, I mean, I knew in some of these places it could, Hey, you know, this was actually, um, this was actually opened in AD 33. <laughs> I know. It's so amazing. And you know, they just become another night on the road after a year or two years later. And you think, Oh yeah. Remember that one? That's where they threw the pillows. Remember that? That was yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, remember it, you know, pillisters up, upstage. The one, the one that I like is, is saying that, you know, you know, Cher was the first act that played here. That's how long she's been on the road. But um, what kind of person does it take to deal with the constant motion of 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 being on the road? Uh, obviously, the wear and tear. You know, the hours that you go through, travel, emotions, stress, food, exercise, lack of all these things. I mean, how, what kind of a person does it take to actually handle this stuff and, and, and do it with a small amount of grace, you know? Well, we've been doing this now how many years and have we yet figured it out? I, I don't know. I mean, I always figured that I would be living this way. But as a musician, you know, not working 20 hours a day, working four hours a day. Mm-hmm. But this is always where I was set to go, I think, you know. And I, I have a feeling it has to do with uh, restlessness of just needing to keep moving, you know, and see new stuff and absorb things that that you can't get just kind of wandering around your little Pac-Man zone of neighborhood, the way we are now, you know? I mean, my wife and I, we walk the neighborhood every day, so we get a little exercise, but we see the same people, and I keep hearing Pac-Man music because we're just kind of zigzagging up and down the same little streets, seeing the same people, you know? Oh, come on, cross the road. (laughs) Don't breathe on me, you know? And then back here. And I don't know if you're feeling the same way I am. I think you probably are. Is that the lack of motion, the lack of new stimulus, it's really choking my spirit to be home. I mean, I love being home. I love being with my wife. I love being in my hometown. But at the same time, I'm craving the the joy of work. I'm craving the creativity of, of music. And new experiences, even in old places <laughs> with old people, you know, the people, it's, uh, we are different people. We are, we are not like other people. We need this stuff. We need to move. We need to experience. And it's, uh, it's very difficult to sit still for people like us, I think. And that's really what it takes, you know, and that's why you become musician too you know you need to to expand and explore and express yeah that's 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 the good answer right there and all the people that you know, that we know that are still doing this have the same <laughs> the same gene you know still 
even at our age, ready to get on the bus and see something you didn't see yesterday and meet somebody new and what's going to happen, you know, the joy of what's going to happen. It's going to be a show. It's going to happen. You know, it's not like going to work and saying, well, I'll push these papers to this side today and then I'll push them back to that side tomorrow and, and I'll collect a check and go home and watch TV. You know, I, I love what we do. It, it, it stimulates me. It's, it's kept us young, you know. Well, it's true. I mean, but I mean, I'm actually just gone out in the past couple of years, and and uh, I mean, there was a time when we started where we were the youngest people on the tour, and then for about seven minutes that we were the same age, and then after that seven minutes, I found out that I was older than everybody else on the tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's one of those things. But I'll tell you, like going out and doing the James Taylor and the Bonnie Raitt thing, um, it's, I mean, we're dealing with guys that are in their 70s, mid-70s, you know, and playing, playing their asses off. But I mean, exactly. they, uh, but I mean, they're taking care of themselves. They, you know, they expend, their, they expend their energy when they're supposed to. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I did a I did a little interview the other day with uh, with uh, um, Terry Lawless. You know, and what was he was telling me was, uh, you know, his stay alone, stay busy, and stay healthy. You know, that's how he handles the road. You know, and I mean, there's a few people I can think of that you never see on a day off. It's true. They're caring for themselves. They're charging their batteries. They're they're staying out of the kind of social chaff that uh, happens on the road, especially when you know you're around people who are still, you know, using and drinking and and being knuckleheads. I'm much more like that myself. You you, you know, I'm much more uh, reticent to show up during the day or anything. But that being said, with Rance and the boys. We have a, a wonderful tradition of, you know, anybody that wants to meet at the bus at 7 p.m. and we'll all go have a meal, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't have to if you don't feel like leaving your room. If you don't, if you want company, there's a social group that will welcome you and you'll have a meal and have some laughs and you can spin off whenever you want. And it's, you know, open to anybody, the band, the drivers, anybody. That's how we hang. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really so important, I think, and it's it's very special to me. And then when I get onto another thing where you don't see anybody on a day off or a night off, then that becomes isolating to me. I like to know that if I want company, I'm welcome here at 7 p.m. and I will have some laughs. And if I don't feel like leaving my room, nobody's going to call me up and bug me about it either or give me shit tomorrow because I didn't show up. Right. But I find having that built-in social scene where you can have some laughs with your friends for as long as you need it and then go to your room, you know, that's really – it's a nice alternative to just – hiding out all the time. I think it's good. It's a rather grown-up way of doing it, too. I really don't but think so. That, that actually very rarely happens with any other crew that I work with. No, These I can't guys, think of any. 
know? Well, there's people I know that I'm on tours that I've been with people who are, you know, they're always going to dinner together. They're always going for a couple of drinks or they're, or they're some people who actually, well, it's not like some people we've worked with who like to actually go and visit uh, serial killers houses and, and stuff. <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you about that someday. Not on camera. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, Hey, just have to keep in mind how many people have been hit by a car when they stand in the spot where JFK got it. They literally go there to have their picture taken and they're standing in live traffic and they've actually been. Hit. Really? Oh yeah. Cause they're morons. Wow. That's kind of a special level of stupidity right there. I guess. Hey, Just you know call. what? Yeah, it makes me proud to be a Dallas person. I think maybe. Uh, well, the big question here is uh, the last one here, which is, what the hell happened to our industry? The Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming it all on the Republicans. I'm blaming it on Mitch. I don't know, Aaron. I, I don't know where our industry is going to come back to. At least, I, I don't know. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it, and I don't. I think I'm done, personally. I don't think I'm going to get back on the bus. But that being said, if they figure out a way to keep us safe, I would like to go back out on the bus. I miss my life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be anything like you and I have ever known it to be if it does come back. I, I shudder to think. I don't think you're ever going to see, uh, you know, 60,000 people in a stadium sitting side by each. I think it's uh, at least not for a long time, not for the end of my career. anyway. Well, you know, I mean, we all I mean, everybody's sort of basically said that it's going to have to be something along the lines of a vaccine or something that's going to allow large groups together, which would not be a catastrophic loss of life you know um i can't even imagine though that the intimacy of our touring life you know living with people in such close proximity mm -hmm. until you can guarantee how can, how can you live with bus six on a bus even how, how do you do that that yeah. that's not viable well i wouldn't so, be surprised to have them putting an uh an X-ray, a TSA X-ray on the door with a and with a temperature gauge on it to check everybody as they head for their bunk. But, uh, you know, it's a it's an unbelievable situation. I mean, like uh, I've I've said before, you know, I mean, we it used to be that good good economy, bad economy, you know, housing bubble, any of the things that occur, and I, I, the entertainment was always good. Entertainment was always there to get a rise Somehow. out of people. Yeah. Yes. You know, you could always hustle a gig somewhere. Yeah. Now everything that I've ever done to make a living has shut down, you know, even ancillary stuff. It's not just touring, but there's no cartridges, there's no studio dates. There's, you know. Yeah. I, I, I've been discussing that with Angela. I have no idea what I would do. I mean, you know, do I really want to be a customer service rep for Amazon? No, no, I don't, really? want to answer, I don't want to answer the phone. 
driving for Amazon Prime, you know, or Uber Eats. No, no, man, come on. But yet that is a very real reality that's you know, facing a lot of us is, our, you know, my job's yeah. probably not coming back. Yeah. You're younger than I am, so you still have kind of a shelf life. But I mean, I'm my body is beat from many, many, many painful years, and things are starting to fail. And you know, sleeping on the bus is harder than it ever was. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's worth it anymore to put my life in, at risk. Yeah. But what do you do after 30, 35 years on the road? What do you do? Where does yeah. that end? Well, and that's true. I mean, because I um, I contemplated that back what five years ago when I started writing all these stupid roadie questions. Um, you know, like where does it, what does it say here? Where does it lead? Dead early in a hotel or retired doing something else? You know, it's not. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be miserable about it or anything in a hotel anyway (laughs) (laughs) too late for that yeah late for late for lobby call once again and sad to say i've lost lost a couple of friends this year i think you probably have as well you know yeah way too many yeah exactly so all of that weighing heavily these days especially with so much death around you know you can't help but be thinking about it as we stay home and say, don't breathe on me, you know? So much death around. Yeah. Well, it's 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 crazy because it's just become uh, you get really desensitized really fast. I'm sitting there and they keep repeating the numbers of, of the sick and the dying. And I mean, even just watching what happened in Beirut the other night, uh, other day. It's just like you sit there and you go, oh, yeah, well, I mean, and it's how long did that last is the first story uh, in the news. It, you know, it kind of got pushed aside, even though it was, I mean, that was just terrifying. Absolutely. You know? I watched that, uh, the video of that again this morning on, online. And was, did you see, the, did you see the, the video of the, of the woman was getting married, the couple that was getting married? Did you see her where she had this? Beautiful camera work and everything, and there, you know, the camera's spinning around her, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you just see her getting going ass over tea kettle in her, uh, in her. I mean, just from the from the blast. I mean, oh my god! She, yeah, the video is just insane. Yes, yeah, she lived. She lived. There was a couple of other things I saw where the the cameraman didn't make it. They got the footage, but uh, they didn't live through it because there there had been a fire going on for quite a while. Just horrific. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, and uh, it was like my wife said, who, who puts all that ammonium nitrate next to 80% of the government's uh, food reserves? You know, just crazy. So, I mean, I, I, try to, I try to get through each day with a little bit of gratitude, you know. And one of the things I'm grateful for are friends like you, and uh, and for the life that kind of made it possible for us to spend time together, and uh, you know, you might you might be uh, retiring, but uh, it's okay. You've had a great run. That's for damn sure. 
You know, it's true. I look over here and I have uh, all my laminates over here, you know, framed on the wall. And you can you can relive so many nights of your life just looking at a little piece of plastic and remember so many people that you knew and loved, you know, and respect. And it's it's really it brings me a lot of joy. And spending this time with you has really reminded me of how much I like you and how much I'm missing with you. You know, we had so many nights like this and so many interesting conversations, you know, and Michael and Saw and David Wells and Kovana, Bill Jennings, you know, yeah. just so grateful for, for being able to be counted among your friends over the years. We've had, we've had a good run, Aaron. We definitely have. I got to give Will a call for this. I'm, I'm afraid I won't stop laughing the whole time, though. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No. He gets crazier with age, boy. He's he's up there in Colorado, and he's he's doing all right. His line on on James Taylor was, "He goes, it's just another piece of wood on the fire that's underneath my ass to get me the hell out of this business." <laughs> yeah, he's like us. He'll never leave. You know. Oh, that's. I mean, there. I mean, if ever, if anybody ever does any history of uh, uh, Bitterman Circle, uh, you have to realize that it was was you, Michael, Will, and myself that, uh, that started out. On started this. it all. Exactly. The first parking spot. <laughs> <laughs> Stage left. Yeah, all, exactly. all and Artie. Oh, boy. Or you might have started Bitterman Circle on, on uh, just Paul, right? Did you start that? Or was that Simon and Garfunkel? Uh, it was Simon and Garfunkel. I, I, think, I think the actual key phrase came from somebody else. Somebody else laid that on me where I was uh, complaining about something. Oh, if you can imagine that. And their response to me was, Bitterman, party of one, your table is waiting. <laughs> so, oh, yes. Yeah, left, my friend. Stage that's left. That's how it starts. Well, listen, give my best to Teresa. And uh, thank you for making some time for me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll be interested to hear the final product. And I've enjoyed this immensely. And it makes me realize we need to converse more. I miss you. And it's done, done me really good. It's done my heart really good to see you and spend time with you and, and uh, talk about real things. You know? Same here. Good to see you. Same here. So you let me know when this is done. And, and uh, I'll be looking forward to it. I certainly will. Uh, all I have to do is edit out all of the nonsense that I started yeah. mumbling, but uh, that'll only take me, uh, it'd probably be Monday. I'll, I'll so how do I access this? Where does this broadcast? Well, I, uh, I mean, I've got it up on a website, which uh, has the ability to stream directly. Like is you it just, you just get a link. Circle.com or something? What That's my BittermanCircle.com is my website, and uh, and I'm actually using a, a third uh, a third party place to actually uh, host the the audio, and um, so it's uh, yeah I'll get you, I'll get you all the information. Send, yeah, send me a link or something so I can get on and listen to your your previous stuff. I'd like to see what you've been up to. Oh yeah, well you know. I, and then I thought, you know, I don't want to preface this. I just want to 
I want to come to you uh, fresh and, and unbiased and just do what we do. Do what we did here. Just chat, you know? It's good because I'm bitter. And, you'll, and if you listen to any of them, you'll see all of the same questions got asked yet again today. And, uh, <laughs> but I want that. I want see, this is, this is so much a matter of, of uh, I mean, I don't think of myself as, uh, who is it? Alan Kovac that did all the field recordings of the blues guys. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Huh? I think that's who he, what his name was. Uh, but I mean, I think it's, impo- it's important for us to have a record. Lomax. Alan Lomax. Thank you. Thank you. Alan Lomax. Um, the, you know, this, I mean, believe me, if you go back into some of my earlier stuff, there is some truly horrible field recordings that I did uh, <laughs> with the early podcasting years of 2006, 2007. And, uh, and now everybody does it. So I'm, I'm just a one trick. I'm just a one trick pony. It's an historical archive. Well, that's it. I mean, God damn it. I mean, I just think about the people that, that I didn't get a chance to interview yet and I won't because they're gone, you know, and I don't, I don't blame this disease. I, well, I can blame cancer for about 80% of them. Exactly. But, uh, you know, but this is, time, you understand what this is about that, you know, we're getting old. And when, when we go, all these stories are gone because we're the guys that created this business. We're the old fucks that did this, you know, just a shorty so many times Mm -hmm. on the bus, you know, you need to write a book. You were here from the beginning, from the beginning of Bill Graham productions, from everybody, all you old guys that started touring. Yeah. You began the business you got to tell the stories before it's too late. Yeah. Well, there's that, that road omerta that needs to be, you know, they're, they're, everybody I know who is writing a book is waiting for the last, their last person to die before they release it. And it's, and it's never going to happen. It has to happen now. That's why I'm doing this now is because, um, but you know, you don't have to, to, uh, to malign anybody in, in, a, in a book to still make it interesting about what it's what it was like to begin from the beginning of our business. Yeah, I mean, we all know those kids now that come up. They don't. They've never done a a rider tour. They've never done a club tour. They go right into arenas. Yeah, well, some of them do. It's it's actually this has been a good experience for me for me too because I'm actually listening to a lot of these. Uh, I don't know. I listen to music that makes people my age go crazy. So, but that's, that's just me. I still like heavy guitars and impossible drums. Excellent. uh, But, um, but there is a segment of the population that's not just doing hip hop. They're, they're, they're doing, they're making music, they're doing stuff, which is, I mean, when we first heard someone like Vinnie Caliuta or something, uh, that was, remarkable and now you've got guys who who came up with that in their dna and exactly and uh and it's like holy smokes you know these guys are are really really good um you know and as soon as they start writing solid stuff you know (laughs) which they are which they are you know it's uh it's good it's good stuff but um yeah i mean if this is this is uh, this is our the 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 record of us. Exactly. I love well, you, man. Enjoy-
back lounge with you for an hour, my friend. <laughs> good, good stuff. Good stuff. Much love. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you out there. I hope. Or at least I I'll hope bet. So. Uh, or, or if I'm a, uh, a fuller brush man, I'll knock on your door and try to sell you a, a vacuum cleaner. Or something. I love you, brother. Take care, my friend. Give my best to Teresa. Bye.